This is the Healthcare Insights in Northwest North Carolina podcast brought to you by Northwest Area Health Education Center at Wake Forest School of Medicine. I'm your host, Andrew Brewer. Today's guest is Reverend Angela Brown. She is the Community Health and Patient Referral Coordinator at Faith Health NC and Faith Health Community Engagement. And we are going to talk all about Faith Health. Welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, I've had several of your colleagues on the podcast about Faith Health, but maybe give us a, the cliff notes of Faith Health and your role as Community Health and Patient Referral Coordinator and how you got where you are and what got you interested in all this. I have been here with the hospital for now 23 years, and I um, started off um, in the clinical setting and then came here, been here in the Faith Health setting for about five years. And um I have been in the community as a local pastor and um, just really being part of the community itself in that um, setting and working with community members. And here in Faith Health, I'm able to engage with um, not just our patients, but um, all the community members that that we serve. And I'm able to connect them with the various resources um, that they may not be aware of that they have and they are connected to, to be able to help stabilize their their health as they leave our hospitals to help them um, be aware of those services that are out there. You know, um, sometimes we have community members that that do not realize that they um, they don't have to come to um, the hospital as regular when um, they have these various resources that can provide those services um, in the interim, you know, of being the regular doctors or even, you know, I'm able to educate them, advocate for them, you know, walk that journey with them. How did you get involved in the ministry and tell us about your, your training there? I would say about um, maybe 20 years ago um, is when I really started walking the path of the ministry. Um, grew up in church. And started like in the choir, Sunday school, you know, um, go to church with your grandparents and things like that. And um, I really, you know, had no idea that I was going to be in this pastoral role. Right. And I used to sit in the congregation and watch um, my bishop preach. And I'm like, man, how does he do that? You know, I'll be stumbling all over myself. Right. (laughs) I, you know, I felt this. is pressing that um, this is something that I was, you know, called to do to be able to um, compel people to really um, follow their heart and have a hope that there is, you know, something far more greater that can help, you know, them through their lives. And so teaching, you know, um, I loved, always loved Sunday school, you know, and teaching. And, um, and so this has become a passion. Evangelism has always been a passion of mine. And so um, this has been, you know, um, such a great, such a great um, part of my life that I've been able to um, walk and um, be a part of. And so um, I think 20 now years into it, here I am and 10 years of pastoring, I really can't see any, you know, any other way of doing it. So. So you're called to serve and called to serve. And so I wrote about flow this morning. I do this thing called morning pages where I write just about whatever topic comes to mind. And flow was one of the things. And you mentioned, you know, your pastor probably giving the sermon and how, how, how does, how does that work? So do you find a flow? Does it come to you easily now? Um, Sometimes it doesn't. It's like, it's Saturday, God, hello. <laughs> Tomorrow's Sunday. <laughs> 
So sometimes it doesn't, you know, but sometimes it happens like with everyday interaction, you know, or um, you're, you're reading, you're studying, you know, um, and or you encounter, um, you know, people every day, you know, people in life. And there's a message in everything that we do, you know, just daily uh, mundane task. You know, there is a message in everything that we do, a lesson to be learned. And so sometimes it is, you know, it's that's where it comes at. You can be in the store, you can be, you know, at the gas station, you know, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, patient and you're waiting in traffic, you know, you're learning these through the spirits, this patience, you know, this love, you know, holding the door for someone, you know, the act of kindness, you know, um, the act of forgiveness, you know, someone cuts you off, you know, and so it's, it's just, it comes in that manner. And then, so then applying that scripture and that topic to really, because nowadays people want something that's going to relate to them, you know, um, that's not above them, that's not beneath them, but really speak to where they're at. And that's my desire and goal as I minister to the people is not talk at them, but speak to them and meet them where they're at. Because um, when I look out at the people, I, I try to see um, the culture that I'm, that I'm ministering to. And so it's a variety of people. Right. And um, I try to um, reach those um, of all variety because um, that that's my goal. Um, one thing about it, I've learned that many people will not come to the church doors. And so it was us, it's us as leaders, as faith leaders to go to the, where the people are and how to reach them. And so if I'm speaking um, in a way that um, that they don't quite get it, you know, then I'm 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 not going to reach them, you know, and so that's I look for those ways and those ways of communication is key, you know, in re- any relationship, communication is the key. Very good, yeah, definitely. And tell me about the intersection, the nexus of faith and evangelism and health, and specifically, you know, individual health and health of the community that that you serve. Yeah, so that's a beautiful question. I've always seen, um, you know, the the church is the spiritual hospital, whereas, you know, we have the hospital as that um, body hospital. Right. And so people come to that the hospital to get their physical body well, where they come to the church um, to get the spiritual um, health that they need. And so when you looking at the two, they go together because um, when one body is not doing well, it affects their spiritual health. And when the spiritual health is not um, doing well, it affects their physical health. Um, and so when people experience trauma, um, death, you know, that grief, all of those combine. And so when one have a faith or whatever their belief is, you know, because we have, have all different walks of faith. Um, and when I'm out in the community, you know, I like to meet them where they're at. And so I don't, you know, often I don't approach people because I have the Christian faith. I once again want to meet them where they're at. And so I want to be able to embrace them, whatever belief they have, you know, and walk that journey with them because hope speaks all kinds of language. Right. And so if I can offer hope in any language, in any um, space they're at, that's what I want to give them. And so um, that will help them with their physical well-being. Um, hope brings back um, strength. Um, it, it helps calm. It helps soothe. It can um, decrease stress, you know help blood pressure come down, you know? Um, And so when you begin to bring, intersect those two, um, people need hope nowadays. If not, if if we need anything else nowadays, we need hope. We need hope that 
things will get better. We need hope that better days are ahead. We need hope that um, evil will not always prevail. We need hope that love is still in the body of people, in human beings, you know. And so, um, and, and, and there are so many um, different illnesses out there, right? And so um, people need to need hope that this diagnosis that I have is not who I am, you know, that I am somebody behind this illnesses. And so um, that that's a portion of what I you know believe as how the faith and the health and those intersect begin to to speak to each other. That's beautiful. And I, I love the spiritual hospital. I haven't thought about that metaphor, but that, that works really well. And that made me uh, think about, you know, how we fuel the body with food and we fuel the mind with what we read and what we consume as far as media and, and, and other things. And then the spirit we feed through however we choose to, to, to feed that. And, um, and hope is one of those things that, that, that fuels that. And it's so important. So, what gives people hope? What have you found gives people hope when you're out reaching them where they are? Wow. Um, first of all, I found out listening. There are so many people that are not heard. And when you can sit with someone and see them as a human being and not as an object, but as a person and they, that they do matter, that immediately gives someone hope. I do not have to know you. You do not have to look like me or sound like me. You do not have to have an education. You know, you do not have to have a house, you know, but sitting there and being there with someone is, um, it's such, um, given inspiration and hope, you know, to make me feel like I am worth listening to. That's where we start at. Mm-hmm. When we can make, people feel like they are somebody again, you know, um, that's where you started. That's where I began. Um, then by meeting that very minute need, sometimes we think it's the, the grander of things, um, that we need to, um, that we immediately try to address. Um, but it's the small things that, um, makes the biggest difference. You know, we've heard the saying, um, big things come in small packages. That is so true um, because it's the small things that makes a difference in people's lives. So I think those are the the main things. Amen. I, I think that what I well, what I've come to learn is that, you know, our, our most precious resource as a human is is our time and our energy. And I think what you just described is that being authentic with someone and listening and engaging shows you that their time is as valuable as yours and that your energy is worth expending to receive their energy, too. And I think that interaction builds up both both parties in that conversation. And I, I just really love that, that just talking with someone and listening to someone can really feed them. Andrew, you said the key thing, authenticity. Um, Trust has been broken in so many ways um, in our communities Um, with um, from government to health systems, you know, um, it has been broken. And so when we are out in the community caring for people, um, connecting people, being that connecting source, advocating, we first have to sit with them and build that trust especially when we don't look like them and talk like them and we don't know 
um, where they've been, you know, and um, and we don't know their story. And so building that trust starts with authenticity. You know, building that trust starts with let me hear you. Don't let me tell you what you need, but let me hear what you need. Don't let me tell you what I think I, you know, what I think you need and let me bring to you what I really see, what I think you need. But tell me, what is it that you need? And let me start there. And so um, that is so true. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, well, I I think that there's, uh, you mentioned it, the trust thing. It takes years to gain and a second to lose. And, And I think that people are put off when they're prescribed things. Like you said, you can't tell someone what to do. And that's what exactly what you get when you go into the physical hospital with an ailment or an affliction. And, and you're just, you're being told what you have. Here's the prescription and good luck. And that may or may not work. It may start out the relationship with your healing um, in a you know, non-authentic way where you're like, well, they gave me this stuff, but I don't really trust it and I'm not going to take it and I need to look somewhere else. So establishing that trust with, hey, yeah, this is part of that. And the other part is, is the person, the whole person, you know, trusting themselves to look for solutions themselves, which sounds really, you know, elementary and, and almost, um, almost condescending um, because you don't know the challenges the person has. However, I think what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, I see faith and the community outreach as so important to be that conduit to listen and really bring out the, the realization that the divine exists inside all of us and we just need to have the light brighter so that we can see it and it's not necessarily that we don't see it or feel it it's just sometimes the right thing we just didn't hear the right thing or didn't see the right thing and and people like you who are going out and evangelizing health and faith and that may be the spark the light that shines on their inner divine that creates that change because we can't change anybody they have to change every each it's up to us to to change ourselves and um i don't have a question but would you like to react to any of that no that's good um i think you know as you were sharing that you're right we can't change anyone and one of the things that i say is that as i'm helping people and and i'm engaging in their lives and i really get into the nitty gritty so to speak of their lives and it's layers and layers of of situations and um um problems that may be there um, I say, you know, often to some of them is that you have to want this more than I want it for yourselves, you know, and I'm not here to enable you, but to definitely get you off in a better place than you were when you came to me. And so um, as as I um, get a foothold, so to speak, in the door, that's me being um, transparent and being being open and building that trust factor. You know, um, I am able to get more um leadway with them when they're seeing that I'm open to them being honest with them. So I'm allowing them to give that um, information, being honest with me. But I thought too, is that if if I begin to meet their need, they're hungry, I'm not going to be able to get to their spirit man if their physical man is growling at me. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, I have to be able to meet that need and that need first is, you know, feed me. I'm hungry, you know, clothe me. I'm hungry. 
I mean, I'm, I'm cold, you know, I need something to, to wear. And so, um, and so we tend to those, those needs as we, um, as we begin to build that trust in those relationships, we're building relationships, you know, and that's what we want. We want to build relationships as we go, as we, as we um, begin to know our community, you know, how, how cool and beautiful it would be when we walk along, you know, Jesus, they, the people knew that was like, Oh, you know, that's that guy, you know, as he walked through different towns, you know, so how cool it would be. We walk around, you know, they're like, Oh, those are the people from age or health, you know? Um, and so um, because of the relationships that we've built and the things that we've done um, in the lives of the people, you know, and so oftentimes people hear about faith health by word of mouth, not by um, um, the commercials on television or radio, or whatever. It's by word of mouth, by the work that we've done from another person in the community or a family or events or things that we've held. You said something that made me think about policy and, and you know, we can't change uh, people, but people, people you know, need to find the way to change themselves and have be empowered, be engaged in, in that regard. And I guess what I'm trying to get to is what is the role of uh, the community? What is the role of the church? What is the role of government? What is the role of the private sector in creating uh, an environment where people can uh, have everything they need in which to feed that spiritual self and feed that internal drive to change. Cause you know, you said it great. And we talk a lot about social determinants of health and social drivers and, and all these health disparities and things. And people aren't ready to change when they don't have food and they don't have clothes and they don't have housing and they don't have transportation. And they don't have finances and, you know, those kinds of things. So it's a big question, I guess, is, 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 what I see is policies being dictated from above and saying, this is what you'll do. And we're going to hopefully that creates this change in the community. Um, and I just don't see that that has worked. I mean, what is the answer there? What is the, the magic formula for things, things to change, for the root causes to be addressed, for for real change to happen? Because we've been hearing about the problems. And I think I asked you this that morning when you presented to our group was I believe we've been hearing about this root cause causes and, and, and the problems for years, but you know, where, where have we made progress? I, here's my question. Where have we made progress? What do we need to do to make more? And then what are the obstacles for, for big, big change in the communities? Wow. Yeah, that is a huge question. And there's so many, I, I believe that we have made changes. And although sometimes you cannot see it from the big picture, you have to, you know, zone in really close to see, oh, that's where the changes have made, been made um, because you have to start. Um, you have to look so close at so many small things, you know, because when you take when you begin to take everything by where the problems are at from governmental places to the housing, you know, but then you got the housing, you got the public health, you got transportation, you know, so um, the, the vast of problems that we need to look at and the core of those. And it's like we're trying to tackle all of them, you know, um, because there's so dire need to the well-being um, when you're looking at the bio, um, physio-social. That's what mm -hmm. we're looking at when you look at that, the whole thing. It's a big question, and, and I appreciate you, you pausing there to, to, to contemplate. So. 
let me start with the church. Um, the church itself, where we're at, we have metamorphosed to something that we're trying to figure out who we are in this day and time, pretty much like every other entity. Um, because of the pandemic, we are now operating in um, a twofold um, type of manner, meaning hybrid, virtual, and um, um, brick and mortal. And where we are ministering, learning to maintain two settings, you know, and um, whether you're a small ministry, big ministry, you're trying to figure out how to survive in these settings. And and so the church responsibility, we're now trying to reconfigure what it looks like to evangelize. Now we have the virtual doors of evangelism and the the old traditional brick and mortar doors of what does evangelism look like, right? And so revamping these of how to um, disciple and evangelize and maintain what we have, but then speak to the new generation and and build on that. And so the church responsibility is, okay, we're now we're looking at um, more of really now we have to address the mental well-being of our congregants and our community, um, really talking about things that, oh, that you really didn't used to hear in the church because now it really does live in the church and it had been living in the church, but we really didn't know it or we really didn't want to accept that. And so the church now has to be real and um, to itself and speak the truth to itself and, and, and understand that this stuff was happening and begin to um, connect to the resources that are now available through our health, health systems so that we can now um, care for our um, parishioners in our communities communities to be stable and well because we have to face the fact that we have functional dysfunctional members from choir members to praise and worship to pastors um, leaders who are operating in our ministries who need help from marriage uh, married people to single people to grandparents to um, middle-aged people who raising their, um, who's caring for their aged parents, a plethora of things that are going on. And we now have to, um, as leaders, faith leaders saying, realize that these things have been going on. Now we have to um, make ministries applicable to the needs and the care that is needed for our people. And now let's engage with our health systems and resources out here in our communities that are available for them. So we can continue to do the work. And that's where faith and health comes in at. Less mercy because as I continue to preach and teach and minister, I need those coming in to take care of the health, you know, um, of my parishioners in my community mm -hmm. while I'm providing that spiritual need as well. Um, what beauty can I give as I'm counseling spiritually while someone is counseling mentally, you know, providing that mental health? That's where I strongly feel for the church um, needs to be at. We um, we can no longer keep quiet. Um, we no longer can keep closed eyes on this, but it's time for us to open our eyes. Um, it's time for us to accept the truth and begin to embrace what is um, what we need for our people. When you say truth, what what are you referring to? Truth that these things that um, there are some mental health problems in our congregation, that there are abuse that is going on in our congregation, that there are um, that we can um, bring in programs that will help our people um, um, 
deal with their um, illnesses better than what you know we've addressed. So the, those truths um, that will help our people be you know better um, physically health and mental health. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, say that there are adequate resources in the community for all the obstacles for social determinants? you know, the, the causes of social determinants or social drivers of health. Like um, what I'm thinking of is, I mean, I just see that we're pouring money, especially from the federal government, it seems to be pouring money into uh, a top-down approach. And I just, you know, and it seems like there are organizations and facilities and, and operations that are trying to tackle a lot of these problems and alleviate some of the need uh, in the community. But I don't, you know, I don't know what it's like on the ground. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting from, you know, my place of privilege, I guess, that, you know, I don't, I'm not affected by those things, those Maslow's basic needs of the hierarchy and things. So I can focus my energies on what can I do better today than, than i you know, than yesterday and things like that. I don't have to worry about that. But it seems like from what I read and what I, you know, what I pay attention to, that there are plenty or there is plenty of money coming from from top down. And and how is that playing out on the ground? And and you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. And we have here in our county, we have plethora of um, resources that could help people. However, um, that yes and no comes in that there is a lot of money. It, it does go quickly because of the great need. Um, not only that is that because there are so many um, qualifications um, that people have to meet. And sometimes our um, community members do not meet those qualifications for several reasons. Either um, the funds could be for a certain age group. So I'm 59 and the age group may be 60 and older. So I don't meet that need. So I don't qualify. I almost qualify, but that threw me out of the category. Um, I may be undocumented, so I don't qualify. So we need resources for undocumented people. You have so much, I would say, you know, they heard of the red tape that we have to go through um, to get people qualified for certain resources. And you have to have documentation for everything to qualify. And one of the things I found out that many people... um, that are having nowadays, so many people are who what that I'm running into is that people do not want to get to the point where they are going to get evicted or they're going to get their lights turned off. So they're looking for resources that will help stabilize them before their point, but the, before that point, but there are no resources that are there to prevent them from um, getting um, to that point to needing crisis. All these resources are for crisis, and I have to tell them that. So yes, we have the resources. Yes, those are monies there, but you run out of the monies that um, that will provide those um, light bill fees and rental fees and those things like that. Your water bill, um, um, moving, move-in fees, housing, um, people who needing housing. Well, you get Section 8 vouchers. That's great. You have a Section 8 vouchers, but then you have a time limit to be able to use that voucher or it expires, and then you have to go back on a wait list. Well, if there is a expiration on it, Section 8 voucher and housing are on a gridlock where there's a waiting list on those housing developments that accept Section 8 housing. How can I get someone to a housing? So it's it's like a it's like a break somewhere, a flaw in these systems that so I believe 
how can, you know, one of the questions I think prior to asking, how can we, um, what is it that we can do better? It's like, we, we gotta be the systems thing. Like we are working against the systems, you know, so we can, if we can figure out how we can flow with each other, like how can we, um, mesh together? How can we, um, you know, because if I got section eight vouchers, but I have nowhere to put people, you follow me, that doesn't really help us. We still have homeless people. I'm going to help, you know, more homeless people than I would have people housed. But yes, we have resources out there. Yeah. And, and, and you speak to the inefficiencies. I, and I, I, I think that's the way I'm taking it is that there's no shortage of money. And it, yeah, it goes quick, but there is like this bureaucracy. And that's where I think people lose trust in. It's like, you know, I've heard of the, was it the fiscal cliff that people are, if you make, you know, $1 over this amount, you're no longer eligible for thing. And I, yeah. Right. And that's that, so right. If you have a, a single mom working, you know, trying to she's on her grind, she's doing what she's supposed to do and she gets her food stamps, she gets um, daycare support, you know, her daycare voucher and, and she's doing good at her job. And she finally get a raise that helps her be able to either get a vehicle so she no longer has to ride the bus. Well, then she then either. Her daycare voucher drops less where she has to pay more daycare fees and she either loses her food stamp out, you know, so um, her food stamps. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We don't need those those stabilities to pull from under her. We need those there. You follow me? So it's like we need to figure this out because where she's trying to get stability and be able to move her and her family better, those are immediately pulled from under her too soon. And then it makes it makes people not want to come out of the system. Yeah, those are the perverse incentives that, that these top-down approaches say. And I'm not saying the people who put those policies in place don't mean well, but I just don't think that they think through the consequences when it comes to reaching the people at at the community level. And, you know, the, that situation that you just described, I mean, I've you know, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, one of the criticisms uh, on, on in some camps is that it, it's a perverse incentive because it disincentivizes the nuclear family. So if that single mom meets someone and is like, oh, wow, we want to get married, all of a sudden her benefits go away. Right. And, and the nuclear family might be the answer to uh, cohesion in their community that can grow from there and we're we we're, we're disincentivizing that so. right right it, it's a um it's a heartbreaking situation when um it really could be um something that could be what just like you said something that could be beautiful where you could see that that um, story grow and build to where they um begin to disengage from the system because they're able to build you know from that and um, be able to then give back into the community because mm -hmm. it becomes stable, a stable community family, you know, and um, be able to give pour back into the community and then be those testaments to then help other community members and show them how to do it. That's why, you know, cause, you know, seed in, seed into their communities. Now, switching gears a little bit, um, what what is the what, where's progress been made in like preventative care and, and wellness overall, just wellness and providing fitness opportunities and and healthy food options. And and I, I recently, you know, I read a, a a study that showed that just by putting a 
Whole Foods grocery store, not the brand, but a, a store with with fresh fruits and vegetables in a uh, what was previously considered a food desert. Studies showed that that by itself didn't solve anything. People's habits didn't change. Um, those who were going to eat healthy anyway took advantage of it, and those who already had their habits and their lifestyles uh, set in their ways didn't their health didn't improve so it wasn't necessarily that um, and it's also there's certain demographics where even economic factors don't make a difference in health and so what I'm thinking is like what progress has been made in in communities of need or communities uh, that have been disenfranchised with regard to preventative care and, and changing that mindset around health care and wellness? Well, I know that many um, educational um, services and events have been you know put in place, um, community gardens put in place and getting the community members to engage and be a part of that um, nurturing of those gardens. Um, and then also the various departments of our hospital system have been able to engage with the churches to come in and educate the the um, the churches to, um, you know, make them a part of, you know, help them to be a part of these, these various programs so that, you know, um, and then give them incentives, you know, like, um, being a part of exercise programs and things like that. So that seems to help when you can um, find that congregation who have those health ministries established and, you know, do those, do those, do those assessments of um, health assessments and be able to bring in those um, different programs um, that they offer. So I do know those, those have been put in place throughout um, the, our black and brown communities, you know, like just the dis dis disenfranchised communities. And you're right. Um, we have to we have to educate our people. And I think through the churches is going to be the um, vehicle will be a great vehicle for that. You know, many of our people will listen to their uh, faith leaders. And if we can get out front and be um, that that leader, you know, that example mm -hmm. to lead by example, to um, to go to our doctors and um, be those examples um, out front. I think that would be good as well and engage and, 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 and like I said, embrace those um, various programs that our health system, health system have to offer, you know, get connected with the the um, breast clinics and make awareness, you know, take part of the um, awareness month, you know, whatever the awareness month is, you know, having those, you know, Sunday morning sessions or whatever that awareness is that's how you know engaging in that way and having speakers yeah. come in from the health system that i think would that be great one of the things i wanted to ask you know the messaging for the last 18 months has been uh devoid for the most part of healthy lifestyle information it's been line up and take a shot and you'll all be good Right. Has that sort of been the sentiment you've gotten in the out in the community? And, and is there a sense of renewed sense? Well, I, um, I go to the gym a lot and this yoga studio and it's packed these days. It's packed. So the messaging is getting out that we've got to take uh, responsibility for our own health. But it didn't come from anywhere above. It came from people waking up to okay i gotta i've got to get in shape and i gotta eat right and be healthy but the messaging i think is sadly from the top down has been 
one size fits all solution and and has that been sort of the zeitgeist in the community that you you've seen or has there been a more of a emphasis on personal uh wellness in in that regard and the community wellness and things like that can you rephrase it a little bit i'm trying to follow you a little bit so Okay, well, I mean, it's controversial, but you know, there's been a push. Take it, take a vaccine, and you'll be, you'll, so how, you'll be fine. Okay, and, so how they've been receiving it? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the numbers show that, you know, our communities, as we look at the numbers in our zip codes, um, here in our county um, and our rural areas. Um, we were struggling in getting our numbers and um, we focused on, our, especially our COVID-19 task force here at the Atrium um, Health Week Forest Baptist, you know, focused on those zip codes in our rural areas to really get those numbers up. And and so we embraced it as, you know, we, we care, you know. Um, and when we went out to the community and, um, they, you know, they saw us, you know, as a as a team that wanted to be out there and to support them, you know, and to to um, to really be thoughtful, not just of the shot or just of the pandemic, but their overall health, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really great is that we were able to engage, and um, even if they, you know, we were able to engage where. If they didn't have the technology, we were able to, um, you know, fill in for them and get that information for them. So I would say they saw it. Um, let's get the shot so we could take care of each other. Um, yes, some was hesitant. Some did say, you know, oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, you know, um, because, you know, I heard so and so they still got sick and they still die. You know, it was a lot of hesitancy, a lot of skepticism, you know, skepticism out there. And so we had to we had to deal with that. The mistrust, it was very heavy, especially early on. So it was a mixed factor. I could see where the mistrust would come in. I mean, historically, you have some pretty nefarious things that have happened to underserved communities and and conspiracy theories aside. I mean, that alone is enough to make people hesitant, you know, and then it's like, well, where's the messaging about obesity and, and about the comorbidities that would be, you know, make you at risk and um Let's talk about those things. So I'm not saying it wasn't there. I just wanted to get your feeling of, of how that was received and what the messaging was there. So one of the things we also did, because I was part of the COVID-19 task force, was that we did utilize our churches that were um, in the community to host these events at. Um, of course, you know, we had the, the mass event at the fairgrounds, but we did uh, quite a few events in the community at the churches where we knew that people would trust their faith leaders, you know, to get signed up through those churches. And so we got a lot of great responses through that. Um, And so many of the events that um, we held um, as well too, I would try to um, bring in other um, resources that provided other health factors or health um, preventative things to to provide education on as well. Mm -hmm. To sort of make not the shot the center of the attention, but other health education information too. So you're right. It could be, that was, you know, one of the thoughts too, I'm sure out there, you know, oh, now you care. But so that was, that was one of the ways to sort of 
veer that thought is say let's let's invite the church once again the church is really the um can really take the lead on this because they were the ones saying hey we have to take care of the you know the soul and the body as well too so let's help our people and so that's why we were able to use the church as a vehicle to get out to people you know being a part of um atrium health like forest baptist and being able to be a part of a division faith health division and this health system to see that we truly do care about the well-being of our community and that um, although we are um, coming from um, mistakes, you know, we have learned from our mistakes and we're trying to make a difference. That gives me hope that that we're continuing to um, find ways to not only care for our teammates here within our health system, because we have our own large community here right within our Atrium Health System. So while we continue to care for our um, teammates within our health system, we continue to um, find ways to care and be there for our community uh, members throughout um, this county and beyond. And it just it just fascinates me how we can find ways to support the people. That gives me hope that um, we don't give up. Um, we are continuing to learn from our mishaps um, and that that gives me hope, you know, that we have phenomenal people that we work with, you know, and um, that supports us, that listens to us. You know, you know, we, we, we have our tough times. Right. Um, but we have gone through um, I, I'm very proud to be an employee here um, because of just going through what we've done um, these past 18 months, almost two years, um, and coming strong and still trying to be here for the community and still hold together. That gives me hope. And of course, the fact who I serve, a very mighty God, you know, and um, and the fact that I know there, there are people in our health system that pray, you know, and that believes in God and, um, and that pray. And um, that gives me hope that we can survive. Well, we still have the word Baptist in our title, so that's good. And I'm proud. I'm proud to work. I've been 15 years now, and and you know, just being in education, adult education, healthcare education too is 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 a you know a cause that I've really you know been empowered by and and really get behind. So that's that's great. And what keeps you up at night? Well, I can say um, that I when I do leave work, work doesn't keep me up at night, so that's good. You know, ministry is a 24-hour thing, you know, so sometimes I would say ministry does, you know, mm-hmm. um, or some things going on in family or I'm up praying. <laughs> and I do pray for our health system, you know, and the people in there. So I would say that. Okay, great. Well, um, what do you like to do when you're not doing what you do? Sleep, sleep. No. <laughs> but I love family time. Um, I love laughing. I love being with family and friends and um shopping. My family would tease you, um, would say, well, she loved praying because if she's not, <laughs> she's like, hey, are you on a prayer call now? So, but yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my things. Just sort of leisure, laid back, a, a good old black and white movie. I'm good too with that. Well, the healing power of prayer and the growth and expansion that comes from it is great. And you, you have some wonderful colleagues, and I've had I've been fortunate enough to have them on the podcast. And I really, really appreciate your time today, and you're a beautiful human, and, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.